Okay, assuming that you've had all the little conversations and reflections that you'd like to, um, would you like to turn to Mark's Gospel if you've got a Bible with you? We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 21. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. Um, The scripture references will come up uh, on the screen as well. Uh, Last time we were in Mark, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at the parable of the sower, which really I think should be called the parable of the soils, because it looks at all these different types of soils in the picture that Jesus uh, uses to teach about his kingdom. Uh, we're going to look at the next few um, parables or illustrations or pictures that Jesus used as he was teaching. And so let's start chapter 4, verse 21. Here we go. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden, is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So, here we are, again, Mark chapter 4, and at this time, this section that we've been looking at, we've seen really the content of what Jesus has been teaching and the the way in which he teaches. He teaches using parables, these pictures, these illustrations to try and demonstrate, to try and show what's the kingdom of God like. And so he did that first off with the parable of of the sower, like I just mentioned. Um, And in some ways, that's the the mother of all parables, because Jesus said to them, look, if you don't understand this parable, How are you going to understand any of them? In other words, if we get this one, it helps us um, to grasp what he means with the other parables that he uses um, further on. But I think it's pretty clear that parable raised some questions. And I think Jesus is then looking to answer some questions um, in what we've just been reading together. So we're going to look at three questions I think the disciples had. And perhaps those questions might register for us as well. The first is this. I think the disciples listening to Jesus on that occasion were puzzled. And I think we know that because it's spelled out pretty clearly. Um, It says in verse 10 of chapter 4, When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. It wasn't clear to them. And in verse 11, he, he told them, Jesus said to them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. 
Oh, right, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you mean. It, uh, the, the kingdom is a secret, and we need to keep it hidden from people on the outside, the riffraff. This is just something for the special privileged few. And uh, even the special privileged few don't quite understand it, but you explain it to us afterwards. So, but Jesus, I'm a little bit puzzled here because it looks like you're trying to hide the truth. It sounds like you're trying to keep people in the dark. Or in other words, maybe you don't want people to be saved. You don't want people to be forgiven, or at least not very many people. I don't quite get this. Maybe that's what's going through um, the disciples' minds. Maybe I've just put that thought in your mind and it wasn't there already. Um, But Jesus, are you trying to hide the truth? Now, Jesus comes in and he gives this illustration of the lamp on a stand. On a stand. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? The whole person, the whole point of having a lamp is to turn it on so when it's dark, people in the room or people nearby can see. It, the whole purpose of a light is that you benefit from its light. Uh, there'd be no point, in other words, Jesus is saying, in, in me coming. Uh, if it wasn't to bring light, if it wasn't to help people to see, if it wasn't to reveal the truth. My heart is not to keep things in the dark. My heart is to bring people into, uh, into the light. Um, so the truth is not a secret to be kept hidden. It's, it's more of a, a mystery that is to be revealed. It's a bit like there's a treasure hunt. Who likes a good treasure hunt? I think for us... It's okay, you can raise a hand. Thank you, Chris. I see that hand. Um, it's like for us, the closest I think we get to a treasure hunt uh, as a family is hiding little tiny Easter egg chocolates all the way around the house uh, for Easter morning so the kids can get up and go, go find them. But we don't do it with clues. You just have to look. A, a proper treasure hunt that's really well organized is one where you're given the first clue and uh, oh, what does that mean? And then you've got to Oh, maybe a, a, the moment comes. Oh, yeah, I get it. Let's look under the bed or wherever it might be. Right, you, you find whatever the token is. You find the next clue. You read that, and you think, oh, now where could that be? Oh, I've got it, right. And you're on, off to the next place to go and look. If you follow it all the way through, you might have a, a collection of, of tokens, and you go back to the person who's organized the treasure hunt, and you say, uh, I've got them all. Here they are. And he says, oh, brilliant. Well done. Now you can have the big prize. What would you like the big prize to be for your treasure hunt? Chocolate, yeah. When we were talking about this as a family, uh, somebody wanted a lifetime supply of chocolate. I think that was kind of Willy Wonka inspired. Uh, anyone else? We had a holiday, yeah. Uh, not going too far, but someone really, really hot. Um, or gold. Uh, you can kind of add into it whatever you might. You can like see what is on earth is going through the minds of the Mason household. What do they actually want out of life? Gold, chocolate, and a holiday. Um, <laughs> and a go-kart, actually. That's what I wanted. <laughs> My own go-kart. Um, but that's a bit like what it's like with the parables. One parable is like a clue. And Jesus is saying, like, listen carefully. It will reveal truth to you, but you've got to listen. Now, maybe, like with one clue... It doesn't solve the whole mystery. What it is doing is getting you to follow on to the next bit. Right, okay. And then, and then again. And if you follow the path, 
that Jesus sets out in his teaching and in the parables, there comes a point of, I've got it. I've received the prize. What's the prize? I've come to faith in him. I, I see that he's the Lord. I see that he's the Savior. I see that he's the one I want to follow with my whole life and, and trust my whole life into his hands. I believe in him. I believe he's the Son of God. That's the, that's the ultimate moment. That's the great gift that we're given. Um, but we've got to follow each of these parables all the way through. So he's not trying to hide truth. Actually, it's about revealing it. In the same way, he's not trying to hide who he is. But so far in Mark's gospel, we've seen him say, you know, when evil spirits have piped up saying, we know who you are. Um, he's saying, no, be quiet. Well, why is it a secret? Now, Jesus is not trying to keep it secret. He's, he's trying to reveal it in the right way. And there'll come a time when he reveals it most clearly in going to the cross and dying in our place, being our substitute. So to understand his kingdom, to understand who he is, we need to kind of get through to that point. Why did he die on the cross? What was it all about? Now he's leading his disciples knowing that that lies ahead. Uh, in the meantime, he's saying, no, follow this path. And so when they've got a question, he answers it with another parable. Oh, got to keep chewing, got to keep thinking, right, okay. And then with his help, ah, oh, I get it, the light's turned on. It says more about the person organizing the treasure hunt and their wisdom and their planning and uh, how they've worked it out. Actually, they will be able to get it if they think about it. It's not going to be made too difficult. It says more about them than it does about us and how clever and special we are to have worked it all out. All the credit goes to, I think, Jesus, to God, to the one who's leading us uh, through. So the bottom line is, God wants to reveal truth, not hide it away. And the kingdom of God is about light breaking into darkness. Um, not about people just being stumbling around in the dark. So, it's important. Let's listen carefully. Um, rather than just stay puzzled and then think, oh, I'm off, I can't be done with it anymore. If you did the treasure hunt and you only got a couple of tokens, you know, oh, that's it, can't be bothered. Um, you come to the person organising the treasure hunt at the end, you hand in your two tokens, but you should have got five. So, well, okay, thanks for the tokens, no prize for you. Let's keep going, let's persevere, let's keep listening. Uh, maybe for some here it's more of a case of, well, I, I don't know who Jesus is, I don't really understand the Christian faith, it seems a bit bizarre to me. Um, keep listening, keep inquiring, and, and the time comes where maybe actually things start to drop and click into place. Now I get it now, I understand, I'm seeing it more clearly, I am going to follow um, Jesus. So some disciples were puzzled, maybe wondering, why does he seem to be hiding the truth? I think the disciples could have also been feeling a bit disappointed, a bit discouraged. They could have been asking the question, sometimes we can ask the same question, well, what can we do? How can we make it happen? I think it went something like this. They've heard about the parable of the sower, the sower is scattering seed all over the place. Some lands on the path. Well, that doesn't bear any fruit. Some lands on the rocky ground. That doesn't bear any fruit. Some is amongst thorns. And that doesn't bear any fruit. There's a little bit of good soil. And if it lands there, a crop comes. They go, oh, what's the point? If so much is not going to be fruitful, so much soil, so many hearts are kind of basically hard to truth. These Pharisees, surely they would be the first to receive what Jesus is teaching. They don't seem interested at all. What's going on? 
they could be thinking. And if Jesus, when he teaches, if he gets such mixed results, what hope is there for us when it's our turn? Because he's chosen the 12 disciples and he said to them, that, you know, you're going to go and you're going to preach and you're going to go share. I'm sending you out. And what's going to happen when we start scattering the seed if Jesus got such mixed results? Uh, maybe, I guess, we'll, we'll just have to put a huge amount of effort in or we'll just decide to give up. And maybe if it appears there's an amazing, rich, fertile area just here of good soil, ah, that will be the time for us to scatter some seed. But otherwise, we're just not going to bother, really. And maybe it's like that. We think, oh, here's someone, and they're really soft. They're really tender-hearted. They're really open to the good news of Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith with that person. Uh, because it just looks such good soil. But everywhere else, I just don't think it's going to really work. So I'm not going to bother. Jesus is saying, hang on, hang on, hang on. We've looked at the soil. And that's important. That showed us we've actually got a responsibility for our own hearts before God. And sometimes, it's, sometimes we pray, God, soften my heart. Actually, it's my responsibility to soften it as well. Uh, I can ask for his help, but I've got to deal with my heart. That's what we were looking at last time. So it's not wrong to focus there. But I think now the disciples are, th are thinking, well, if the soil is like this, and a lot of it is rubbish, and sometimes my own heart is rubbish, then now they're focusing on the sower. They're, they're focusing on the man who's doing the scattering. It's all about the effort we put in. It's all about how much we can do. It's all about us. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. We've looked at the soil, that's our hearts. We're not totally ignoring the fact that someone is sowing. Maybe that's to do with our effort and what we do. But the focus here in the next parable is the seed. Focus on the seed. That's where the life is. If there's going to be any fruitfulness at all, it's because of the seed. If you scatter gravel on the ground, no matter how good the soil is, nothing is going to grow. It's all, it's about focusing on the seed. What's the so we see, we see that here, Jesus is saying, look what happens to the seed. A man scatters a seed on the ground, verse 27. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Now, I think Jesus is exaggerating to make the point. Because I think most people involved in any amount of farming, or if you've got an allotment, I think we'd probably guess that more is involved in just scattering the seed and going to sleep for six months. <laughs> but he's kind of making the point. It's not about our effort. The focus here is consider the seed. It's a mystery. It gets sown. And then beneath the surface, without anyone hovering over it, it starts to germinate. Something grows. Something comes out of the seed. After a little while, then the first little tender shoots start to poke through the surface. It's amazing. That's not what we're doing. The, the farmer, in a sense, doesn't achieve that. It's all because of the seed. It's got life in it. And remember what the seed represents? It's the Word of God. So Jesus is saying, look, the seed, the Word of God, that's where the life is. That's why stuff springs up. 
That's why there's any crop at all. That's why the kingdom is growing. It's because of the word. It's because of the seed. Now, we've got a part to play, but it's not all about our effort. It's about what God is doing, which is often out of sight, beneath the surface. We might not even be aware of what God is doing in someone's heart where the word of God has just landed. Bottom line, word of God is powerful. Uh, A little while ago, we looked at, a few weeks back, we briefly looked at uh, John chapter 6. At a point where I think for many of the disciples, they, they were beginning to understand, but actually many disciples had heard Jesus teaching they were massively turned off. It was hard teaching to hear. Jesus has been saying, I'm the bread of life. And they're thinking, it's a bit difficult to swallow. Don't really understand it. And people are turning away. John chapter 6, um, verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's your word. It's what you're saying. It's got life in it to change our lives, bringing us into eternal life. We're not going anywhere else. So they'd seen it. They'd understood. The kingdom of God is about God working powerfully beneath the surface, quite frankly, in a way that's mysterious to us. But then a harvest comes. Uh, I was with a group of friends recently, and we just spent the evening um, sharing our story of, of how we each came to faith in Jesus. Um, there were some similarities, there were some differences in how that uh, unfolded, and by the way, it's just massively encouraging. Uh, as a result of an evening like that, you just kind of think, yeah, that's the work of God. I've just, I've just heard of how God worked in so many people's lives. It's easy just to take it for granted, but actually to hear, spend time considering, think, that's quite amazing. It's a mystery, kind of what God has done. Um, and, uh, and Tom Lee was sharing his testimony. I asked him, you know, do you mind if I share it on Sunday? He said, no, it's fine. Um, he was in this church uh, as an infant, and, um, or the predecessor to this church, Walkley Baptist. And with other young people, he would go out to the children's work while someone was preaching. And uh, a few minutes later, uh, the normal kind of routine on a Sunday was that he was brought back in. And uh, Tom was taken up to, to mum and dad, said, Tom has too much energy. Uh, by which I think they meant Tom's naughty and he doesn't listen or pay any attention. Um, and so, uh, there might be people here that remember this. Tom, as a little boy, would be sat or laid down under the PA desk because his dad, Mike, was on PA. And he just stayed there. think, that was what it was like. I don't know how the youth workers felt about it. I don't know what was going through Mike's mind for his own son. He's just there. He's been brought out. Well, what's God got in store for him? And he's just sharing his testimony. I think actually, 
it was really significant. While I was being restrained under the PA desk, I was just, <laughs> I was listening to the word being preached. Actually, it went into me. And God caused some stuff to grow. At the time, you might look and think, oh, nothing much seems to be happening there. But now God's at work. It's hidden. It's not obvious. But little shoots grow up. And then, you know, a few weeks ago, I said, oh, Tom, would you mind leading the 930 congregation this, uh, for a couple of weeks? Yeah, all right. God's caused life to grow. And because uh, God's been at work. It's a mystery. We can have faith in the power of God's word, even when we don't see much happening. That's why we can have confidence to scatter seed, even if the soil looks really bad. I think, no, actually, it's the seed that's got life. And if there's life in, you know, if, if God's at work, that, and the heart is right, whatever things look like on the outside, it's going to grow. Might not be straight away that we're aware of it, but it's powerful, it's growing. So, don't give up scattering seed. Don't believe, don't uh, stop believing for a harvest. Let's trust the power of God's word, even when we're not sure what's happening. So, maybe with that we can throw off any disappointment. Oh, what can I do? What can we do? Well, it's not all about us, but it's worthwhile. God's at work, so whatever we sow is not wasted. There's a third question that I wonder if disciples were thinking, um, and maybe for some of us too it might be relevant, because I think the disciples were also feeling a tad impatient. Puzzled, perhaps? Well, definitely, because we know about it. Disappointed or discouraged? Also, impatient. In other words, okay, Jesus. There's power in the seed. There's life in your word. But for goodness sake, how long is it going to take until there's really something significant that's grown up to talk about? Um, you see, they could have been thinking, when they heard Jesus say in chapter 1, verse 15... The kingdom of God is near. They could have been thinking, yes, the kingdom of God is near. Great. Any moment now, any moment, it's going to become really clear. You see, what they were probably thinking or expecting or hoping for is that in their lifetime, the kingdom of God would so grow that it would clearly rival the power of Rome. So they were thinking, yes. The kingdom of God is near. Loads of people, the whole nation of Israel will get behind this. This kingdom will rise up. We'll have prominent places in that. And then we'll be in a position to overthrow Rome. And then we can really go to the nations and, uh, and bring them into the kingdom of God as well. They're expecting something massive, kind of history-shaping, world-rearranging in their lifetime. So... We might be quite impressed when we read through the early chapters of Mark and we think about all the people gathering to hear Jesus. Wow, there's a few thousand people on the hillside um, by the lake listening to Jesus. I think, well, I think we'd settle for that. You know, a few thousand, we'd be a mega church if we'd become a crowd of thousands. I think we've really arrived. But they might be thinking, where's the whole nation? Why aren't the Pharisees, you know, if, if this is the kingdom of God... Why are none of the religious leaders and the Pharisees here? Why, aren't, why isn't everyone in our family here? 
or a whole town. I mean, it's a few thousand, but this is a massive nation. We might be thinking the same about Sheffield. Well, just a little crowd of us, to be honest, and we're in a city of 500,000. You know, I wonder how many thousand people will gather together somewhere in some church today to worship Jesus and listen to God's word. Yeah, maybe a few thousand. It's a city of half a million. Huh, is this it? Is this the kingdom of God? And sometimes being part of the kingdom of God can feel oh, it's just a bit small. And uh, maybe today, for, in City Church, I reckon there's probably about 50 people today who will be thinking, wow, the meeting's really big. And those are the 50 people who, for the last five or six years, who've been part of the North Congregation. And the North Congregation today is growing. Everyone else is kind of thinking, well, it's great. We're kind of 120, maybe a bit more, 120 people. It's kind of a bit small. Uh, kind of hoping for something, something a bit bigger. How long is it going to take? Uh, how long is this harvest going to take? Because sometimes we can feel impatient. The kingdom of God can feel uh, a bit small. So what does Jesus bring to the disciples' attention? What does he bring to our attention? Well, it's another seed. This time it's the mustard seed. Some people think this might be the black mustard seed, but I'll allow you to do your own research. Anyway, tiny, tiny little seed. And Jesus, well, let's look at it together. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like in verse 30? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Well, it's not the smallest seed in existence, but it is the smallest seed that people were likely to be familiar with in the day, and it's pretty small. So there we go, he refers to that. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So if you, if you had a black mustard seed and you put that in the ground, you looked after it right, or slept for six months, um, it would grow, and it can grow up to th- a, a plant which is up to three meters in height. Pretty big. Um, substantial uh, branches and so on. So what, what's the bottom line? Bottom line is the kingdom of God is so often about very small beginnings growing into something that is impressive in size. In other words, don't despise the day of small things and small beginnings. I was once in a meeting where an evangelist was really all guns blazing for Jesus, preaching the gospel, his heart out, and in a meeting a bit bigger than this, not hugely bigger, but he probably had hopes that, you know, like maybe, I don't know, 20 people who'd never responded to the gospel before would come to the front and kneel down and, and kind of make that response and decide to follow Jesus as a result of his, uh, his ministry that day. And so he prayed, you know, after preaching, he prayed, eyes tight, sh- tight shut. This little lad came up, just knelt, probably almost under the lectern. He probably couldn't even see him to start with. And he was praying his heart out. And he opened his eyes, he looked down and he just went, oh, he was disappointed in the one little lad that came forward. He thought, no, that, that's a small beginning, but there's no knowing what God might do in his life as a result of the word growing and multiplying. This is wonderful. Now you can kind of appreciate, okay, he had hopes for something a bit bigger, a bigger response. But no, you don't despise this. You treasure this. This is wonderful. This is an example of the seed coming into the ground and life starting. Life had just come into that young lad in giving his life um, to Jesus. We don't despise a day of, of small beginnings. And that's what it is to, 
to be living by faith is to think, this is wonderful. I'm encouraging this small thing that's begun. It's just, you know, steadily, after a few weeks and months and, or even years, it's poked above the surface. Well, it doesn't look much. Tread on it and you squash it. Um, I caught myself off guard with that one. Um, but uh, <laughs> we treasure it, looking for what God is doing and, in, and encouraging that. And looking forward to what God is doing in his kingdom. Now, we can kind of just get locked into thinking about our lifetime. And maybe in terms of a church together, we can think, right, okay, we're now three congregations. Fantastic. Um, God's given us a vision to be seven congregations, and perhaps, maybe, conservatively, enthusiastically, I don't know, in seven years' time, yes, we'll be seven congregations all the way spread geographically across the city, and uh, there'll probably be 7,000 people who would call City Church home. That's what we believe in, folks. It's little days now, but you just hold on there, in there because impressive stuff is about to happen. Well, yes, hopefully, and that's what we're heading towards. But read Hebrews chapter 11. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, of the heroes of faith, there are people living by faith. This is my paraphrase of it. You can look at it later. People living by faith when they died. They didn't see all that they were looking forward to, but they welcomed it from a distance. Um, and I think there's an element to that of, of that for us. It's kind of living by faith means seeing beyond your own lifetime to what God is doing in his kingdom. Ultimately, when the whole of time is brought to its conclusion, every other tree, every other apparent kingdom that looks impressive will be judged and cut down and it will be seen that God's kingdom has grown and reached and become massive so much so that it, others are brought in. You know, it's an intriguing reference to birds kind of perching in its shade and so on, but it's kind of saying this is a significant, massive thing that God has done. That's what we are a part of already. That's what we're believing for. That's what we're looking forward to. Now we're praying, Lord, let your kingdom come here, but we're living by faith. And we're, we're looking forward to all that God is doing, yes, in our lifetime, actually beyond it too. So sometimes as disciples, we might be puzzled. Thinking, what's God playing at? He, he seems to be hiding things away. Sometimes as disciples, we can feel discouraged and disappointed. Well, what can I do? I haven't got much to contribute, and uh, the soil is really difficult where I am. Goodness me. You want to know what my class is like at school? No one's interested whatsoever. You want to know what my office is like at work? Just people are totally disinterested. My neighbors are all kind of wrapped up with other desires and priorities in life. They just can't hear it. Um, the, word of, the Word of God just, you know, I, I'm praying for my son, but... You know, Sunday after Sunday, he's just got to camp under the PA desk because he's been a rascal. You know, I just don't see what God's doing. Don't be discouraged. Don't be despondent. The Word of God is powerful and it brings life. Let's put our trust, our confidence in what the Word is like, what the seed is like. Yes, there's a place for obviously getting our hearts right before God, praying that other people do the same. Yes, he's not saying... Okay, everybody, don't do anything for six months. You know, don't scatter seed. Don't do anything at all. No, we've, we've got a part to play in scattering seed. But the point is, God's got life in his word that brings fruitfulness. And yes, we're living by faith. And that also actually means living patiently as well. We're believing God for harvest, for growth, for this big tree. 
to stretch out massive branches. But we are, yes, we're fully convinced the majesty of God's kingdom will be revealed. Let's pray for it in our time, in this day. But whatever happens in our, in our time and in our day, we're looking forward to something that is certain. That's what faith, uh, that's what faith involves. So I think we're going to worship God together for a little while. As we do that, we'll be uh, just responding in our hearts. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, I thank you that whatever we are feeling or thinking today, there is a powerful work of your kingdom at work. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your presence. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus. You didn't come to hide truth. You came because there are people walking in a great darkness. You came so they could see light. You told us, I'm the light of the world. Lord, we believe it. Lord, we know that we, uh, we might be aware, particularly of just living in dark times, or people who live in darkness, and we want to pray, oh God, shine your light on this city, shine your light through us, that today, as we go from this place, it would be with fresh faith, fresh confidence, that you are at work, that your word is powerful, and it will take root, it will germinate. We will see people responding to the goodness of your love and your word. Yes, Lord God, we want to keep our hearts soft, but we also want to throw off discouragement. We want to keep following you, following your word. It's a lamp that guides us. Lord, come and have your way amongst us. Lord, we pray. Amen.